have run out of excuses and we are running out of time. We're looking at mass starvation within 10 years. The reality is we're sleepwalking into a catastrophe. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. Welcome to the Extinction Rebellion podcast. I'm Marine Vandergeer. And I'm Jessica Townsend. And you're listening to episode one, Extinction Rebellion for New Rebels. When I started with Extinction Rebellion, I had loads of questions about it. Um, and there's lots of ideas which are a little bit unfamiliar to mm. regular people just beginning to get involved. We had hundreds of different questions. Do, do I have to get arrested? arrested to be a part of Extinction Rebellion? What does Extinction Rebellion want? Why don't they have any policies did, or strategies? How, how did XR educate itself? Is this something I can get involved in? I genuinely never thought that I would be standing on a bridge um, or a street with a whole group of people blocking traffic and causing trouble. But um, through friends at my local Green Party, um, I found out about Rising Up, the group behind Extinction Rebellion, and um, got involved with their air pollution um, actions. And then when they started making plans for going against climate breakdown and the inaction of the government, um, I watched Roger Hallam's Heading for Extinction talk and I was on board. And what about you, Jessica? I was doing some research for a piece of writing that I'm doing and um, I kept reading science, quite approachable science written for non-scientists, mm. and realising that it was really out of step with what I was reading in the media, which was so much milder. Then I went to a festival in the summer and I met these people who said that they were staging a rebellion in the autumn. And um, and they seemed to agree with me on everything about climate change, but uh, but they did say that part of the campaign would be massive disobedience, and an important part of it was arrests. Mm, and yeah. I and the arrest thing I found quite scary at the beginning. I must admit, although now I completely agree with it as yeah. an, as an approach. That was one something for me as well that put me off initially. Yeah, um, which I'm sure is the same for a lot of people looking at joining in. We had the idea of recording some of these questions at some of our London meetings where lots of new rebels um, attend. So I thought maybe we can listen to some of those questions and see if we can try and answer them. Um, I think that one thing that we should just point out before we go on is that sometimes people just say XR uh, instead yes. of Extinction Rebellion. Mm -hmm. So I guess I want to know who, who are they? Who is behind this Extinction Rebellion? Extinction Rebellion are a group of people who are so alarmed by the climate crisis and the ecological catastrophe really that's going on around us that we've decided to get together to put pressure on the government to address these issues we don't feel that our safety is and the safety of our children is being put 
as a priority by the government. Mm, yeah, definitely. And and I think a lot of people, the first thing they want to know is who are these people who are Extinction Rebellion? Um, it's not like we're some slick NGO or a company. Um, you know, it started literally with 15 people in a cafe, I believe, in Bristol or something around this time last year. And they were yeah. like, we have to have a rebellion and that's what we're going to do. And that's how it's evolved. So those people formed an organisation called Rising Up. Rising Up uh, addressed a couple of issues. One was air pollution and one was the extra runway at Heathrow. Mm. Um, but it wasn't so much the issues they focused on as the way that they approached those issues, which I think um, made us break through. They looked very carefully at tactics and were quite kind of experimental with their nonviolent direct action and learn from each one and, and take a very creative approach. What does Extinction Rebellion want? So the first demand is that we want the government to tell the truth about how bad the climate crisis and mass extinction is. Um, and we really believe that they are not doing that at the moment at all. I remember talking to one of our activists about the IPCC report that came out from the UN. And he said that he couldn't believe the silence that followed that report. He expected massive discussions and reorganisation and he wondered if he'd dreamt it. Yeah, I mean, it was bizarre. And, and that's part of the first demand as well, is that um, we want the media to help the government spread this message. And, you know, this should be on the news every single day, uh, headlines, you know, they're touching on it vaguely, but it's not good enough, not on the scale yes. of catastrophe that we're facing. Yeah. So that's demand number one. Demand number two is that we want the government to commit to net zero carbon emissions by 2025. That's quite an ambitious target, isn't it? Is it is very ambitious, yes. <laughs> so we don't believe that they are even serious about the Paris Agreement emission reduction, which is by 2050. Um, we're already not on target for that. So, yeah, a lot of people are saying, isn't this a bit... Uh, and you're setting yourself up for failure, but we can talk about that in a bit more detail in a, in a bit. We believe that leaving it any later than that will push us past a tipping point where we can no longer stop the impact that climate change is going to have on us. So it, it's it's not optional. This no. has to happen. Lastly, the, the third demand is in order to create a roadmap or a blueprint of how we're going to get to achieve demand number two to the zero net carbon emissions. We want the government to set aside funds and people to create a citizens' assembly. Now, what's a citizens' assembly? I know, so that's another question that we get a lot. So just in brief, it will be a randomly selected group of people from all over the country who will be deliberating, not debating, shouting at each other, but really listening to each other to come to 
solutions of what we're going to do and, and, and what this future is going to look like. And as Extinction Rebellion, we are not going to have anything to do with that decision making, but we do want the government to, to set up this assembly and, and organize it and run it and pay for it uh, because that's their responsibility. And then if they don't implement these um, recommendations, we will go back onto the streets and uh, have some more rebelling. And citizens' assemblies have been used and are increasingly used across the world, aren't they? It was used in Ireland about the abortion uh, debate. And Uh, same-sex marriage as well. Just when it's topics that are so toxic and and long-term as well that politicians can't touch them because they're worried that if they're making too radical a decision, they're going to lose voters. You know, they're obviously stuck to various lobbies in terms of climate change. Obviously, that's the fossil fuel lobby, for example. So it just becomes almost impossible for politicians to make the right decisions. And that's why we feel that a citizens' assembly would be the perfect way for them to do it because after the assembly is done, politicians can say, well, this is the will of the people and we are going to implement what the people want. We know that citizens' assemblies are, you know, quite a complicated, huge topic. So we will be dedicating a whole episode to um, citizens' assembly and especially what we think it's going to look like in terms of the climate emergency. So um, watch this space for future episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Do I have to get arrested to be a part of it? No. You do not need to be willing to be arrested to be part of XR. There's lots of other roles that you can take and lots of other ways of supporting us. We are a mass movement. We are hoping at some point to have a million people. I do not think the police would be able to arrest a million people. (laughs) No. (laughs) When I first joined, I had massive resistance myself to the idea of getting arrested. Uh, I'm just a regular person. I just did it couldn't imagine that my life would ever involve being in police custody or any scenario like that. Mm, Um, And I remember telling my friends and my family that I was joining this group for whom that was an approach. And they all said, don't get arrested, Jessica. Now, actually, (laughs) I've, I've completely changed my mind. And last year I did put myself forward and, and was in a position to be arrested, but the police didn't take me up on it, sadly. So arrest is part of uh, the, our seriousness of purpose. I remember hearing Simon Bramwell talking about his approach to arrest and being just very moved by his commitment to the cause and trying to get our voice listened to. There's been quite a lot of research into nonviolent direct action, both by Roger Hallam, who is part of our movement, but it goes back to people like Jean Sharp. And actually, the most effective way to affect change is if people feel so strongly about an issue that they are prepared, ordinary citizens are prepared to put themselves forward for arrest. Having said that, there are many reasons people might not be able to get arrested or just really cannot. You know, there's family commitments, there's work, there's health and mental health issues. But there's absolutely no judgment from within Extinction Rebellion at all. There, sure. There are so many other things that people there can are, do. There are so many other roles. Some of our actions are designed so that it is a mass of people 
protesting uh, in, a, in a very peaceful way. Sometimes people with families are put off by the XR brand because mm. they think that our protests will necessarily be edgy. That, that really isn't the case. When we did the uh, Bridges protest, there were lots of families and yeah. children playing yeah. quite peacefully. Yeah, and uh, we were at the Hackney Street Party um, which was blocking the road at Dalston Kingsland and that was the first outing for XR families so there were lots of young children there all with chalk drawing on the street and they all had their little mini high visas on so um, yeah even though obviously there is an em emphasis on being arrested because it will help us raise the profile of the movement um, please do not be put off by it and please come and be with us anyway and it's very easy to be part of an action and you can you can tell when the arrestableness of it is going to start and you just step you just step aside you know if you're on a road and it's starting to look like people are starting to arrest people get off the road and then you're completely fine so it is very avoidable isn't it to get arrested if that's what you don't want yes we're very happy to have people supporting us who aren't breaking the law. Lots of people are wondering what actually happens when you do get arrested. And there is a whole process for that. You get lots of training before you actually go out on an action if you're at what we call an arrestable. It's actually not that exciting. You just go, I thought you'd be going straight to prison, you know? You get you get let out at three in the morning. Yeah, you have to take a bloody bus across London. We do have great trainings for it. Yes. And I would advise uh, people not to get arrested unless they've had a training because yeah, we definitely. want to look after people uh, so they know what to expect yeah yeah and also the training kind of shows you it's not actually that scary which is which is always a good thing but I think we're going to dedicate a whole episode to that because there's quite a lot of um, information there we're based in the UK this is our approach here different countries have different setups so if you're listening from a different country, this isn't necessarily the approach that XR will be taking where you are. Do check with your Extinction Rebellion group and see what their approach is uh, on arrests and things like that. Yeah, that's um, a great idea. Yeah. How does Extinction Rebellion get its funding? People support us in lots of different ways, not just funding. I mean, people also give us their time and their energy, uh, but quite a lot of our supporters also have donated to the crowdfunder. Mm -hmm. The crowdfunder has been our biggest way of raising money. You can have a look online. Some people are anonymous, but quite a lot of people um, have put their names so you can see the sort of people who have supported that. There are people like Rupert Reed. Joe Corey, Jonathan Porritt, you know, people from the green movement uh, who've got behind us. There have also been uh, important environmentally conscious companies such as Lush who have given us donations. We've had money from faith organisations and also from private individuals. We also go around with the money uh, pot at uh, meetings and stuff as well. Those are obviously small amounts, but it does help towards things. And we tend to spend it on buying supplies for action days, so paints and fabrics and things like that, and um, helping people with transport costs as well. Yes, yeah, sometimes. The country. 
Sometimes when we have meetings, there'll be food supplied. And of course, you have to uh, pay for the space. So there's that side of things. We also have an office uh, in London. And that costs a certain amount of money just to rent. And of course, London rates are terrible. Yeah, I think we're really quite good at we're just spending money on things that we really, really need. Um, You know, there isn't any profit. There's no salaries. There's some stipends for some people who are you know, committing so much time to it that they've mostly given up their jobs. But again, we're transparent about that. Yeah, so you can find all of that online. Yeah, yeah. And actually, what surprised me when I looked at those documents were how few people were taking any yeah. money, even people who I know have given weeks and weeks of their time to uh, to Extinction Rebellion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, the point is that everybody's part of this because they're so concerned about the issue. This isn't about making money. This thing about um, achieving zero carbon by 2025, isn't it just like unrealistic or actually unachievable? No. According to the IPCC report of 2018, we have about 12 years. And by the time we're recording this in uh, February 2019, it's slowly becoming 11 years to sort ourselves out. So we believe we must be aiming to get there and we must be getting there much, much sooner than we've currently set goals for. There are many strategies, reports, loads of people have been thinking about this and there are ways of achieving zero net carbon emissions in a very short space of time. So we don't think that because it will be hard or we might not make it that that's an excuse to to not even try. I remember when we were in a meeting last autumn before the first rebellion when a BBC reporter asked our activists actually challenged us very uh, harshly saying you people aren't going to achieve this and one of our supporters Lizia stood up and said I'm 21 what am I what am I supposed to do with that this is my future that you're talking about Uh, we've got to make this work and uh, it was really an amazing moment I think George Monbiot wrote about it in his Guardian pieces. Mm. And you could really feel the room change at that point because it is hard to achieve. Yeah. Of course, it's hard to achieve. But the the consequence of not achieving it is too dire, really, yeah. to think about. We'll put some links in the description of this podcast to some uh, reports of people, most notably the one by Ezra Silk from the Climate Mobilisation, who wrote a victory plan, which sums up quite nicely of how we can actually achieve this and how it can be done. It's really important that we also mention that as we said when we're talking about the Citizens' Assembly, we don't advocate this. These no. are experts in the field. We think that uh, there needs to be a democratic process where the people decide absolutely. which way that we need to go. Yeah, absolutely. I think the point is is that we believe it can be done. How it will be done will be up to the Citizens' Assembly. Why do Extinction Rebellion believe massive disobedience is needed? Extinction Rebellion doesn't enjoy 
disrupting people's lives. So, for example, one of the things that we did in the rebellion in October was we uh, had swarming, which meant that we were stopping roads in London working during working hours that inconvenienced people trying to do their jobs, also people who were just trying to get to A from A to B, visit people in hospital, those sorts of things. We really don't enjoy doing that. On every protest that we do of that kind, we make sure that there are people there who, in a very civil way, try to explain what the aims of the organisation are. And we also quite often offer them cakes and flowers yeah. and smiles. It still doesn't stop some people getting absolutely furious mm. with the disruption that is part of that. And of course, one of the things that is a kind of sadness for us is that it also quite often disrupts people whose livelihoods might be quite precarious. But the climate emergency itself is going to hit those people hardest. So we, we don't like doing it, but compared with what's coming down the line, if, we, yeah, if we're not the successful... The in inconvenience caused by a bit of disruption compared to total yeah. climate breakdown is, yeah, pretty minor. <laughs> The, the founders of Extinction Rebellion um, have done a lot of research into, you know, what disruption and civil disobedience achieves. Yes. Um, you know, especially Roger Hallam is, is really interested and very knowledgeable in this. And we just say to people, you know, who hasn't signed a petition or gone on a protest march, you know, once a year? What has it actually achieved? Yeah. And at the end of the day, it just hasn't achieved what we need to see happen. The Green Movement has been going for 30 years mm. and we're still facing a climate emergency. Yeah. So the old methods, the old polite methods just aren't effective. No. And it's, you know, the whole point of the disruption is that business as usual is no longer an option and that's why the, the, the civil disobedience is, is absolutely necessary. And one of the things as well that we always say is that the oldest and simplest justification for government is as a protector. They need to protect their citizens and by their inaction that's not what they're doing. So even though we are breaking the law, so is the government. <laughs> yes, the government's so, broken that contract that it has with us to yeah, look after us, yes. Absolutely. And also, as, as Roger says uh, in, in many of his talks, is that there's a very good proven track record of the success of civil disobedience. So just looking at Gandhi's defiance of British colonial laws, uh, the children in Birmingham and Alabama in 1963, and of course the suffragette movement as well. So we're sort of, you know, this has been carefully researched and considered. Um, it's not like we just decided one day to step out onto the streets and <laughs> cause trouble. <laughs> why does Extinction Rebellion tell us what to do? And why don't they have any policies or strategies about how to deal with the climate emergency? We feel that the relatively small group of people that are Extinction Rebellion don't have the insight um, to be able to make decisions of what will work for everyone in this country. So we don't want to be the ones dictating of this is how we're going to achieve, you know, zero carbon emissions by 2025. That's not our position. That's not almost our right to do that. And at the same time, government um, politicians are tied by getting re-elected, so they can't make decisions that won't be popular because they might lose their voters. 
and they're also tied up to being lobbied by industry like fossil fuel um, who are very powerful so we believe that the best way to go about it is having this citizens assembly to have a fair and representative decision made that will work for kind of all people in society not just the few are not just people based in London, for example. And, and I think it's also really important that we state that although we may be branded in the press as having a particular political stance, we don't. No. We really want to welcome people from ac across the political spectrum. Anybody who is concerned about climate change is welcome. Absolutely. Well, it, it really doesn't matter what their uh, political background is. It, this is affecting everybody. Yeah. It, uh, there are a lot of people on the left who are concerned, but also uh, people from the right who would like to conserve the country and uh, to uh, look after the future of our, our children and keep stability within the country. They also are concerned about climate change and are very welcome. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So so the purpose of Extinction Rebellion is not to set an, a political agenda in that sense. Our purpose is to get the climate crisis on the agenda. So it's top then, of the list. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, make it number one priority. How did XR educate itself? What scientists, experts and theories do they follow and how do they decide on them? There is a lot of information out there about climate change, about biodiversity loss. Um, so we've had to obviously pick a few and then consider which ones are highly exaggerated or which ones are more uh, sort of too moderate in our eyes. So the way to really go about that is just to read articles, especially ones that have been peer-reviewed, so ones that um, other scientists and experts have also read and commented on. Because science is run in such a rigorous way, so that things have to be proven, they then get published and peer-reviewed, there's a process and a lag that is involved in that. So it often means that science, that, that the literature lags behind actually what scientists know at any particular point. So there is a conservative bias that is uh, built into the scientific approach. Yeah, that's so true. Like we hear so many people in, in Extinction Rebellion who are quite, you know, knowledgeable about the issue that the IPCC report from 2018, for example, is massively understated. And it's not only actually the science and the, the fact that that takes time to come through, that UN also put that through a political process and that in itself made it more moderate. Because of the rigorous way that science progresses, it means that there is understatement that is sort of built into it because scientists will never make a claim that can't be reproduced or that hasn't been peer-reviewed as correct. And the, the very process of getting that through and accepted can take two or three years. So there are things that science scientists know now which will not be in the public domain. And while we're in this emergency, that is problematic. Not only that, but there was, uh, after the IPCC 
science was settled, it also went through a process where politicians intervened. So the final mm. wording of it means that it's very conservative. And by conservative, I don't mean politically conservative, but probably understates what the true facts are. We're, we're very lucky that we do have access to a lot of scientists now, a lot of climate experts who are telling us, you know, these reports are extremely conservative, understated, and the, the situation is much, much worse than uh, what the official reports are saying. So it's been it's been quite hard for the people involved in, in research for uh, Extinction Rebellion to sort of, you know, navigate through all the information that's out there. But I think we have especially because we've been joined by so many scientists and experts now as well, we do feel fairly confident that we have a fair idea of what's actually happening in terms of climate breakdown, biodiversity loss and other ecological threats we're facing. So if, if you're interested, I think I would definitely recommend, uh, in terms of biodiversity loss, have a look at the Red List of Threatened Species which is uh, on the website of the International Union for Conservation of nature and we talk a lot to um, Naomi Klein and other people from the climate mobilization in the US as well. Believe it or not NASA are actually very into their climate change reporting and they have some incredible uh, discoveries that they've made especially recently as we're talking now in February 2019 they've seen pictures of melting ice that shows that it's it's a lot worse than we initially thought. So um, we'll put a few links up in the description of, um, of the podcast so that you can have a little browse as well and have a look at the science if you like. So just before we finish the episode, um, when we were recording at some of the Extinction Rebellion meetings in London, we came across a conversation that one of the new joiners was having with one of our long-standing XR members, Tamsin Omond. And the conversation was really interesting and we were really lucky to, to record it. So uh, we'll let you listen to a little clip of that as well. Unfortunately, I think I pipe up throughout it as well. So, um, <laughs> But uh, it's mostly between Tamsin and, uh, and this uh, new joiner. So uh, have a listen. I guess my, my worry is that people at the moment, we, uh, I think everyone accepts that climate change is a thing, it's a problem, but it's such a big problem that people, there's so much anxiety around it and they respond in a very human way, which is to close their eyes and cover their ears and be like, oh, I don't want to deal with this, it's scary, there's too much, and that we may be adding to that by... I, I don't know, I, I guess actions such as this might be adding to that anxiety and that while we, everyone in this, this room feels better and like, yeah, actually we're doing something and, and that's how we're dealing with that anxiety, by doing that and making ourselves feel better, we're kind of pushing other people away from, from a message and making them feel worse and adding to their anxiety by having that you're not doing something and we're trying to do something. Thing. I don't know. I'm I want to be convinced and I want I want my thinking to be different. I don't I don't know. 
I mean, I don't think you need to drink the Extinction Rebellion Kool-Aid after, like, one encounter with us. Yeah. I don't think that's a feasible thing. Like, yeah. what we... I, I said that, like, we're... We're like, in some ways, an experiment because everything that's happened before hasn't worked and that people, whether they're like putting their hands over their eyes, like one thing that's definitely not happening is like people aren't doing actions to stop climate change or getting involved at a kind of uh, societal level to like get involved in democratic processes to like make it, make to, to mitigate what's what's happening and I guess what we're doing and why this has had such like a exponential growth is that we're offering people a way to engage with this issue that feels meaningful but that's that only be meaningful. isn't that only for the people inside so you have the in group and the out group the people who are in it the people who join they get that feeling of yeah we're doing something but then the people who are out of it are left kind of like oh there's a really big problem and they're being reminded that of this big problem that they already kind of know but they they can't deal with emotionally because it's so massive so we're kind of putting the wider group down to kind of deal with our own stuff i mean i guess i think one thing we do is we open up a space where those anxieties do come to the surface and we try to open up a space to like handle and like hoping with that those anxieties is a daily thing it's not something you do once in your life like we're all gonna have to get better at it and we are all gonna have to kind of like steward each other through what is going to be an incredibly emotionally turbulent time to be a human because we're all going to have to see the destruction of our natural world and also see what happens when there aren't enough resources and what you know what happens to humanity um so I think like that conversation isn't going anywhere. And yeah. like if we're raising it in a quite a like energetic way, then that's not a bad thing. One thing I'd say about the kind of outsider insider thing, it's like I believe that quite a lot of those people have have decided not to become participants in activism because they haven't felt that there's any point. So yeah. it's like when you tell people that climate change is happening and then tell them that they can like sign a petition or like take a uh, you know, not take a plastic straw or whatever. Like that's not that. It doesn't equate with the scale of the threat. And I think something about what we're doing is like when people see us on the streets, they're like, actually, that makes sense. Like these people, are, and you know, the response that we've had from people being disrupted by our swarms has been extraordinary. Like, you know, it's like half and half. Are yeah. Like very, we polarize opinion. I think that is true. But I think like in polarizing opinion, we create a whole lot of space that isn't at the moment there for people to have conversations about what to do and like where they stand on it. And that, and that, that's kind of good enough. Yeah, I think I, I would just really quickly add something. Not, I mean, we'll just record it, but, anyway. um, <laughs> but also I think the point is that it's not really about trying to get everybody on board. We just need the critical mass to create the change. Um, and it's kind of always been like that with, with, with movements like this, where you know there are just going to be a whole lot of people who aren't going to be engaging with this. But I think that's okay. I mean, we know what's happening. We know the truth. If we can get as big as we can, enough people for it to be a critical mass that we can actually change something for the, to convince the government, yeah. you know, that sort of thing, then that's, then that's fine. I think that's enough. I think, I think we will alienate people, but I, I think in a way there are just going to have to be 
a few crazy people like all of us who take that upon us to try and get something done and there, there will always be pe people who either don't like it or they don't understand it or um, but but that's fine you know as long as we who are wedded to the status quo as well do you know what I mean it's like I don't want to stop flying. I don't want to change my lifestyle. I don't want to do any of those things. But like, ultimately, we can't. Like, we actually just can't carry on yeah. as though nothing. And, and eventually, we won't be able to. Like, eventually, taxes on all of that stuff will go up, and it will only be like the super elite that get to enjoy the lifestyle that all of us are enjoying right now. Yeah. And there's something about like being honest with ourselves about that. Yeah. I think it's a really good point. It's, though, it's, and a it's lot difficult. Of do it's like about I'm, that. I, I, I'm just. No, I think the, the, I'm completely aligned on the mission. I think I'm just super conflicted on the methods. Yeah. <laughs> super yeah. conflicted. Is but. it about is it about the civil disobedience? That well, it's not even necessarily that. It's just I feel I think I think it's good to spread the message, but uh, I think people are. I, it, if this was happening, you know, 10, 20 years ago, um, it would be slightly different. But I think today, people understand the science, they understand the severity. The, the, the problem is that they're just ignoring it and choosing to... And, choose, um, and making that choice because it's difficult to process. So I think uh, a method that, that, that... I guess creating spaces where people feel like they can deal with those feelings and once their once their eyes are open their ears are open it's like okay then we can have a conversation but I think maybe that's the step that might be missing here is instead of just giving the message actually stop it like even if you're talking to a kid like if a kid's doing that is like making noise like, ah, I don't want to listen you kind of sit them down it's like it's okay you don't shout at them more because they're going to just keep on they're not they're not going to be, be able to take in anything you say you kind of just sit them down it's like right or let's have a conversation like it's okay and I don't know and Maybe I think this is the, like the talk is like a crucial part of That's great. It's so interesting, isn't it, to uh, hear the concerns that people have when they first join because uh, it's a steep learning curve and you soon get steeped in all things Extinction Rebellion when you're, when you're part of it. Yeah, definitely. So, Marine, we so Jessica, <laughs> <laughs> this is the end of our first Extinction Rebellion podcast. It's been fun for me. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. It's been really good. It's been good going through the newbie questions and remembering what it was like for us as well when we first joined Extinction Rebellion and how mysterious it all seems and confusing. It doesn't really take all that long to be embedded. Part of yeah. <laughs> yes. So join us for the next episode. What's that about? We are going to be talking about non-violent civil disobedience. Uh, so we'll be talking to Roger Hallam. And uh, we'll be exploring that theme a lot more. And it's very important, the non-violence theme, because with the new rebellion coming up, there's going to be a lot of new people joining. Absolutely. And we really need to emphasize that it's a real are, core value yeah, of the movement. Yeah, in, in every single way. Um, so we really hope that um, this has cleared up some of your questions, some of your doubts. Um, and we hope that uh, it's made uh, Extinction Rebellion feel a bit more accessible. And uh, please do join us wherever in the world you are. Come and uh, rebel for life with us. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thank you. Bye.
have run out of excuses and we are running out of time.